Father God in heaven, thank you just so much for being our our Father. I know I say that all the time. Father God in heaven, Father, you're so close to me. You are right here if we'll just get in your presence and, and talk to you and treat you, Lord, like you are right here. And then you're in heaven, Lord. You're where we hope to be one day, which seems so far away, Lord, but it's not as far away as we think. This life is just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. We just celebrate it in this baby dedication, new life. And it doesn't seem in our little minds that Nathaniel's life will will be a vapor that quickly that appears and, and vanishes, Lord, because that's all of our lives. So help us not waste a moment, Lord. Help us not waste a second, uh, and let us just learn in our hearts to, to talk to you, to speak with you, to pray with you, to walk with you, Lord. And I just pray that through this message that you will open up some eyes, Lord, to let them see something they've never seen before. Open up some ears to let them hear something in a way or maybe something that they've never heard before. And open up their minds so that they're, they can comprehend something, Lord, they've never grasped before. And Lord, through all that, open up our hearts so that we leave here just a little bit more in love with you and ready to go in the world and just have that joy that only comes from knowing you. Joy to the world, Lord, you have come. What an amazing, amazing thing, Lord. There's nobody like you. I pray that you anoint this message, anoint this room and uh, may you just be glorified and honored. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, I always feel better after that. Um, now, so my, my, my sermon today, I called Family Tree. Okay, now, I used to, when I first started reading the Bible, you know, I, I would run away from those little genealogies like so quick. You know, as soon as somebody begets somebody, I'm going to the next chapter. And it's like... You know, but, but the more I get into it, you know, I, I like to start really kind of looking at each of these names and really um, going back into detail. And today I'm going to talk a little bit about Matthew's genealogy, the first book um, of the New Testament. You know, when you read, you know, when you go through and you, you read Malachi and then you turn the page and you hit Matthew, you just past 400 years of time from the last stroke of Malachi to the first stroke of Matthew's pen is 400 years. And the first thing that you're going to read is a genealogy that Matthew gives. Now Matthew was a Jew. Uh, Matthew ended up becoming a tax collector, a despised tax collector because he was basically working for the enemy, collecting money. And so, you know, it's interesting that Matthew talks about money more than anybody else because that was his struggle. That was, you know, he obviously loved money if he was a tax collector. And so he talks about it and he mentions things like Christ saying, you can't serve God and money. Why would he say that? Because that's his struggle. He's conveying that. But Matthew, being a Jew, was trying his, his first purpose. i got three things about Matthew here that I'm going to go through. 
And Matthew's first purpose was to prove to other Jews that Jesus came through the appropriate lineage and is the Son of God. And so, if he's going to start a genealogy, he's got to connect Jesus to Abraham. Because through Abraham, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 15... He says, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. Now, I've got another sermon that I did where he called to him that first time because Abraham had just offered his son as a sacrifice to the Lord. He was about to murder his own son, completely believing that God was going to resurrect him if he was obedient to him. But the first time, the angel said, Abraham, stop. Do not harm the child. I do not want him killed. I know now that you are an obedient servant, and you love me, and you fear me, and you will do anything I ask you to do. I know that. And then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven, and said, by myself I have sworn. I love that. I just love that God swears by himself. That's just crazy. You know, I swear to God. He's like, well, I swear by myself. That, I, that says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And here it is, in your seed, all nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Here's the promise. Somebody is coming through Isaac and Jacob and his son and his son and his son and his son. And there is going to be a person come through him that will be the Savior of the world. Every single nation is going to be blessed through him. Is the United States of America blessed because of this promise, absolutely. It's the only reason I know him. Any of you that know him know him. It's the only Reason. So a Jew, if they were going to take anybody into consideration for being the Son of God, the Messiah, they would have to come through Abraham because they would all know, Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, that it's got to come through Abraham. So the first thing Matthew is going to do in Matthew 1, 1 is state this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Okay, so a Jew saying, well, I'm not so sure Jesus is who he says he is. They would read on and see the son of David. Now, like, oh, we know David. We know King David, the son of Abraham. And so the first thing Matthew's going to do is he's going to connect these three. Then he's going to go into incredible detail. Because for a Jew to give any consideration, he must be connected to King David and Father Abraham. So Matthew is going to make him the son of God, the son of promise. Jesus is the son of God. And interestingly enough, in Luke 3, after the Christmas story, you'll see another genealogy 
but it runs all the way back to Adam, the son of man. So each one of these, when you go through, you're reading the Bible, and you see Jesus call himself the son of man. Yes, he was of woman born. Or somebody would say he's the son of God. Yes, he did come through the seed of Abraham. He was the son of promise. He is the one who's going to bless all nations. But for Matthew's purpose, he's going to connect all of this back to Abraham because he's trying to convince Jews. Not so much us, though we read Matthew and enjoy it. You know, just enjoy the blessing of what he wrote. So, Matthew's genealogy number two is going to serve as a reminder about past people. To me personally, as a follower of Christ... What Matthew does in this documentation after this of the lineage of Jesus helps me tremendously. And I hope this morning that it helps you. So let's get started in this. Matthew chapter 1 verse 2. And I'm not really going to go much further than this. Abraham begot Isaac. Okay, so we know that. And then he put him on an altar and thought that, you know, he was going to kill him. But God said no. So we we just read about all that. Isaac begat Jacob. Of course, so, so Jacob, you know, we know about Jacob's story. He, he stole the birthright from his brother Esau. You know, we should be saying you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But Esau, for a bowl of soup, just completely gave his birthright away. And Jacob stole it from him, had to flee, and then met this girl named Rachel and loved her served the dad Laban so he could marry her, and then the dad tricked him and ended up giving him the the sister, and then he worked another seven years so he could get the one he wanted, and it just created this, you know, this this crazy, this thing, because it says Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Now, right here, a Jew might would have been thinking, Judah, now why are we going to go with Judah here? You know, I mean, you would think that if we're going to try to make, you know, him the son of God and all this, that let's say Joseph. Because Joseph, you know, he starts in like Genesis chapter 37 and then pick back up with him in Genesis chapter 39 and go all the way through 50 like a huge chunk of Genesis is dedicated to Joseph. Why aren't we going to go here? Why aren't we going to go there to, to, to um, Joseph instead of, instead of Judah? Well, Judah means praise. And I know I've kind of talked about this, but, you know, if you hadn't been here, um, Judah was, his mom was Leah. And Leah, when she was married to Jacob, and Jacob was married, had both sisters. The one that Jacob really loved, Rachel, couldn't have a baby. But Leah could have a baby, and it made made him... um, you know, this is the one I'm going to bring children from. And so he kind of just used her to have kids. And Leah, every time she had a baby, would say something like, now my husband will love me because I've given him a kid. And then she would get pregnant again and say, oh, now my husband will really love me because I've given... So she's having babies trying to get her husband to look at her the same way he looks at her, at her sister. And so... That process just kind of keeps going on, and she has one more kid, and his name is Judah. 
And Judah means praise. And it's just a beautiful moment in Genesis, I think, chapter 29, where she says, you know what? I'm tired of having these kids simply to try to impress my husband who will never look at me like he looks at my sister. So this time... With this child, it will not be to impress a man or another person. This time, I will praise the Lord. So Judah was birthed out of that. He was birthed out of that. So here's a kid, and any time we we go through, we, we see what he does. You know, I'm starting to look, and when I see certain behavior, that I don't just go off on the kid for doing that behavior. I start thinking, what made that kid like that because when these Jews saw the the name Judah they would have immediately had a negative connotation about it because here's one of the things he did you know Judah in Genesis chapter 37 starting in verse 26 when they were about to um, get rid of Joseph They didn't like Joseph because Joseph, you know, he said, I had these dreams and, you know, basically you're going to bow down to me one day. And so, you know, Judah's like, we're never going to bow down to you. You know, the whole family is like, here comes that dreamer. And they get this idea to kill Joseph. Let's, Let's flat out kill him. And one brother, Reuben, is saying stuff like, well... You know, no, let's not, let's just kind of leave him here. And it says that his plan was kind of go back and rescue the boy so he could go back to daddy and maybe get a little higher standing with daddy. But it was Judah who said this to his brothers. What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? We're not going to get anything out of it. Just kill him. He says, come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. So there's a couple of ways to look at that. Is Judah just being completely selfish and saying, I'm not going to kill him if I'm not going to get anything out of it? Or is Judah, is something in him saying, we can't kill him, we got to find some way you know, for him to live. There's a couple of ways to to look at that. And and we don't know what his motive was. Only he knows and God knows what his motive was for selling him. Was it monetary? I don't know. Was it love for his brother a little bit? I don't know. Only he and God knew. But we should not bash him as evil yet. We should examine why. Why was he like that? Why did these brothers that Matthew lists in the genealogy of Jesus, hate Joseph. Well, think about it. Growing up, they watched daddy ignore their mom, love their aunt, treat their kids with special treatment, and they were just kind of the workers. They were just kind of people just that, that, that daddy just did not really spend time with, and daddy just did not love. And they picked up on that, you know. So you know, Jacob just basically tolerated Leah, the mother of Judah. And, and what does that do to a kid? What does that do to a kid when he's got two moms and he can, it's obvious that daddy does not love my mom. He loves my aunt. Okay, and I know that's a messed up situation anyway, but what kind of jealousy does that produce in a kid's heart? What kind of jealousy did that produce in Judah's heart? Judah's children took his compromise, if that's what this is, to a new level. 
In Genesis chapter 38, starting in verse 8, check out what happened. Judah said to Onan. Okay, now, what Judah did later in life was he married a Canaanite woman, and he had kids. And those kids ended up marrying a woman. The, the oldest married a woman named Tamar. And when Ur died, it said he was evil and that God killed him, that he just was struck dead. And so Judah said to his to Onan, which would be his next older kid, who's supposed to go into his brother's wife and provide an heir so that she can own the property and all that and have any kind of rights through her son. You know, Judah here seems like he wants to do the right thing. And he says, go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. So he's trying to tell him to do what's right. And if you're really interested, I got a sermon that I pretty much did on that called Stimulated But Not Changed. Won't go there today, but it's kind of interesting if I do say so um, myself. <laughs> but Onan knew that the heir would not be his. So, so here we go. You remember what daddy did back there? Well, what profit is it for me if we just kill him? I want to get something out of it. Let's sell it to those traders and at least we'll get a little money out of it. Okay? But Onan, his son, knew that the heir wouldn't be his. So what profit is it for me if I go in here and provide my, my dead brother's wife with an heir so that she gets all this stuff? See, it's just like, he's just like his dad. He's being doing this, but kind of taking it to, to a new level. And it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he admitted on the ground lest he should give an heir to his brother. So on in here, he wanted the pleasure of the situation, but he didn't want the responsibility that, comes, that, that came with it. Verse 10, And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, therefore he killed him also. And then in verse 11, Judah said to Tamar, his daughter, so he's had two kids, basically, struck dead somehow, we don't know how, and he says to Tamar, you know, he's got to be thinking, I don't know what it is about you, but you're cursed, chick. You know, he's not looking at it as like, um, God's doing this to them for their evil ways. He's like, it must be something to do with this girl. So he says, remain a widow in your father's house till my son Sheila is grown. For he said, lest also he die like his brothers. He's like, I don't want anything to happen to my last kid. And so he went in and dwelt um, in her father's, Tamar went in and dwelt in her father's house. And so he comes up with this plan, and, and here's his plan. Well, I'm going to let this, my, my son, when he gets older, I'll tell her that when he gets older, I'll give him the, uh, I'll give her him. But then he, he doesn't. He doesn't go and give it to her. And Tamar recognizes that he really has no plans of giving her his youngest son. So she takes matters in her own hands. And she goes and she, she, she figures out that Judah is going to go through, be passing through this town. Tamar dresses herself up as a prostitute. And make sure that he sees her when she comes in. And he looks at her and he says, hey, what have we got to do to make this happen? 
And, you know, he's, she says, well, what do you have? He's like, well, I can give you like a young goat or something from my flock or something like that. And she says, well, go ahead. And he's like, well, I don't have it with me. And she says, well, I'll tell you what, we can make this happen. All you have to do is give me your staff and your little signet ring that you use to, to uh, make sure that this is from you, your personal signet ring. And he's like, okay. And she said, well, we, we can just trade back tomorrow or the next day or something. And so they make it happen. They leave thinking, you know, no, no big deal. Judah, being the upright man that he is, says, well, I got to go pay this lady. So he sends a servant with the goat, the payment, and they can't find her. Three months later goes by. She starts showing pregnancy. And then he's, they finally gets back to Judah. Look at Judah's reaction in Genesis 38, verse 24. It came to pass about three months after that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has played the harlot. You know, your daughter-in-law, prostitute, that's what she's played. Furthermore, she is with child by this harlotry. So Judah, look at this. Bring her out and let her be burned. Whoa, easy there, killer. Bring her out and let her be burned. When she was brought out, man, this chick is genius. She's like, when she was brought, she sent to her father-in-law saying, fine, you know, burn me. But by the man whom these belong, I am with child. Guess what? killer. It's yours. And she said, please determine whose these are on the signet and the cord and the staff. Talking about messing with a guy. Yeah, I just want you to know that yeah, whoever these belong to before you burn me, just make sure you check out whose they are and then make your decision. So Judah acknowledged them. He knew as soon as he saw them and said, she's been more righteous than I. She was a harlot. She would have been so despised. And here's Judah coming to a place where he says, she's been more righteous than I because I didn't do what I said I was going to do. I didn't give her Sheila, my son. And he never knew her again. There was a huge changing point right here, I believe, in Judah's life. He came to a place of repentance. I came to a place of realization where even this harlot, who this person, this prostitute who, who tricked me is more righteous than I. And Tamar had the twins that continued the genealogy. Look at Genesis chapter 38, verse 29 and 30. Then it happened. She had twins in him there. As he drew back his hand, so one kid is like about to come out, and the midwife, like it says, she, she tied a scarlet cord on his hand. Like, you know, this kid's about to come out. But then it happened, as he drew back his hand, the kid with the scarlet cord on there so that they could identify it, that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, how did you break through this breach be upon you. Therefore, his name was called Perez. And then verse 30, afterward, 
his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zira. And so you see this little picture of this one kid about to come out, and they're going to mark it. This is the firstborn, so they don't get them confused. And it happens to be a scarlet thread, a red thread. Amazing. And then that kid, the other one, says, no, I've got to come out. And when you read the genealogy, it is Perez who ended up coming out first that continues the genealogy. So it would have been important for this to come out first. So inside that womb was one, the son that was going to bring bring the promise, and one wearing the scarlet cord, which I believe represents the Christ. He's the one that came out, the son of God, the son of promise. And here we are wearing the scarlet cords. We need his blood to save us, and we need him to sanctify us, and we need this son of promise to forgive us for our sin. It's the scarlet cord that he was wearing. And all of this changed Judah. And here's how we know Judah was changed. When they went to Egypt to buy grain because they were going to die in the famine, they went there. And Joseph just to get a little sweet revenge, was just messing with them. He would like, they'd go get it, and then they'd take it home, and when they took the grain out, they'd find all their money, and it made it look like they didn't pay for it, and they were just scared to death. And he told them, he said, hey, next time you come back, you told me there's 11 of you. You better bring that little brother that you say that you have, because if you don't, you know, I'm not going to believe you. I'm going to think you're spies, and we're going to put you in, in prison while their food runs out. They have to go back. And Jacob is saying, you know, no, you can't take Benjamin. My other one's already gone. You can't, you can't take them. Still playing favorites. I don't care if one of you guys go get killed, but don't take this one. Don't take Benjamin. And so he, they, they go and they say, listen, we're out of food, Father. And if we don't go with Benjamin, we're toast. He's not going to give us anymore. He's going to think we're spies. And so finally, he relents and he takes Benjamin. And so they go and they get more food. And Joseph sets them up hardcore, man. They're about to leave. Somebody comes out and says, somebody stole the king's cup. Somebody stole Pharaoh's cup. And they're like, we know we didn't take anything. Search it. Whatever. He said, well, the person, if we find it, it's coming back to prison with us. And sure enough, they find Benjamin's cup. So the brothers, I mean, all that they, the conspiring that they did, you talk about the weight of sin crashing down on them. They're like, we can't have this. We got to do whatever we have to do. And I love this verse right here. Genesis chapter 44, verse 33. Judah says to Joseph, now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of Benjamin. Instead of the lad, I will be your slave. I'll be a slave to my Lord. I give my life to you. Do whatever you want to do to me. But please let the lad go up with his brothers. That is a man 
who has been changed. How does he go from just serving himself and it all just being about him and what he wants and coming to a place where he says, I will give my life for my father. I know my father loves his son and I will dedicate my life. I'll do whatever I have to do to save him. The last part, Matthew's genealogy. Go back to uh, verse 2, Matthew 1, 2. So, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. So yes, a Jew may have looked at that and said, why, we don't, why would we want him in the genealogy? Because he's perfect for the genealogy. Yes, he was lost. Yes, he was full of sin. Yes, things happened to him that made him jealous, that made him full of rage, that made him mean, that made him evil, that made him selfish. All that kind of stuff happened, but he came to a place where he was willing to give his life. And that is perfect. Jesus came through this. He didn't come for through perfect people and He didn't come for perfect people. I sit here thankful that I was a selfish kid living for nobody but Himself and for His own prophet. And I came to a place when I saw that I didn't like the road to destruction. I didn't like where it ended up. I came to a place where I said, you know what, God, you are so good. I give my life for you. Thank you for sending your son for me. Jesus came through Judah. Look at all he did. Look at all the bad he did, but look at the place he came to. So I ask you today, no matter where you've been, what your past is like, what you're doing now that you know is against God, no matter what it is, come to the place today where you say, Lord, I realize you come for people like Judah, you come for people like me. And band, if y'all want to go ahead and come on up, let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this message, Lord. You came to this world through Judah, who a Jew looking at that would just said, why him? Look at all that he did. But Lord, look at the place you brought him to. He came to the place where he was willing to give his life for another, Lord. And my prayer is that everybody here at Lifeline, Lord, we fall in love with you so much that we're willing, Lord, to serve. We're willing to give our lives, our talents, we come to the place where we want you and to serve your people and to reach the lost and, and go out into the mess that is people like Judah, full of just vile sin and all this. And, and we, we be good to them and we show them the love of Christ and pray that you touch their heart and change them. This is what it's all about. This is the Christmas message that in all of this darkness, a light came and it is you, Jesus Christ. We love you. We thank you. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.